ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble, you might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of
Good morning, mutineers. This is the B. Good morning to you. Hope you had a good week and good work. And uh, we're here today with some music and some news and some opinion. All by, for, and about working people. This is the Labor and Love Show. What do we got today? We've got... Mr. Trump's promise to save 600 jobs going down the drain. We've got Stonewall, the Pride Parade today, tomorrow actually, celebrating Stonewall and what it stands for. We've got uh, negotiations between the San Francisco Teachers Union We've got a big wage theft case in Contra Costa County. We'll talk about that and about the phenomenon of wage theft. Uh, Some people uh, estimated as high as uh, $50 billion per year, wage theft. Let's see what We've got a um, immigrant rights day, immigrant appreciation day, honor immigration day. So I've got a short film about an immigrant family and how they live. So we've got a lot. We got our labor news. We got radio labor. We got uh, this day in labor history. A giant strike in Sao Paulo, Brazil, 100 years ago. All right, let's keep on with what we had. We started out there with <clears throat> Tina Turner, Better Be Good, You Better Be Good to Me, and Beverly Crawford singing with her band, You Gotta Serve Somebody, which in a lot of ways is the theme song of our, of our show. This is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, that means another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table where you work, you're probably on the menu. You can believe that. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Here's Hazel Dickens from West Virginia. A rebel girl.
Okay, that was uh, Hazel Dickens from West Virginia with a rebel girl. A genealogy of the song is that it was written by uh, it was written by Joe Hill, the famous labor troubadour, IWW, the labor troubadour, and it was written about a woman named Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. And uh, Flynn was a labor organizer from the time she was 17 years old, uh, demonstrating uh, for socialism. We're talking about the early 1900s now. Flynn was a fiery organizer, speech maker, who was one of the the leaders and founders of the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World. At one time, she was very famous and had enormous influence on others in the labor movement. Joe Hill, the labor troubadour, was arrested on trumped-up charges in Colorado, and uh, Gurley Flynn came to visit him. And he wrote the the song, I'm Proud to Fight for Freedom with a Rebel Girl. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. This is the B. And as I've said before, I'm a blues guy. And I found some nice blues by... Well, see, could you figure it out who it is? Let me get it together here. Okay, well, let's play something else. Um... Sister Rosetta Tharp. Looks like it's not happening. So let's jump over here to Lou Reed singing a Bob Dylan song.
the light and bless the flesh off of a man. So can a woman who passes herself off as a male. Say about being nice to the right people on the way up. Sooner or later, you're gonna beat them on the way down. Oh, they ain't no coming back when the foot of pride comes down. Ain't no coming back. Oh, no coming back when the foot of pride comes down. They got a brother named James, don't forget, face is a name. Sucking cheeks and his blood is picked. He looks straight into the sun and said, Revenge is mine. But he drinks, and drinks can be fixed. Sing me one more song about your love to the moon and a stranger. You fall by a sordid love affair with Errol Flynn. In this times of compassion, when the conformity is in fashion, say one more stupid thing before the final nail is drawn in. Oh, they ain't no coming back when the put of pride. I'm He's out of his head uh. He's off everyone that he can touch Said he only needs a cash and sells tickets to a plane crash Not somebody you play around with much Mr. Lila is his A Philistine is what he is So do one just works with your fate
Johnny from Sand Building University in the study and sing Amazing Grace all the way to the Swiss Bank. Whoa, ain't coming back before the pride comes back. Hey, 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 ain't no coming back, baby. Ain't no coming back. Some beautiful people out there, man. They could be a terror to your mind. They'll show you how to hold your tongue. They got mystery written all over their forehead to kill their babies in the crib. Say only the good guy young. They don't believe in mercy. It's something, it's something, it's something that you never ever see. Oh, they can exalt you up and bring you down the main roof. Turn you into anything they want you to be. Oh, ain't coming back to put a price. Ain't no coming back.
Mr. Rosetta Tharp. That's all. You know what? We got to have more love, more understanding every day of our lives. And that's all. Now, when you see folks jump from this or that, Rosetta Tharp there with uh, her rendition of That's All. Um, this is the Labor and Love Show, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. We're down here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of San Francisco's Mission District. And a little bit of everything goes on here. This is an art center, this is a performance space. This is a place where comedians come to hone their talents. That part of the comedy shows you never see, where the where developing comedians first go out and decide to perform in public and sharpen their skills and sharpen their jokes. So come on down. Um, to Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. 
We're going to talk a little now about Stonewall. Play it. I got another Rosetta Tharp that I want to play, but... I want to talk about Stonewall, specifically what happened at the Stonewall Bar on June 29th, 1969. The Stonewall Riots. Stonewall Riots Explained. Let's listen. Stonewall, of course, was a gay bar in Greenwich Village area of, San, of New York, a place where uh, people felt they could gather. In those days, uh, gay bars were few and far between. Any kind of store that served gays specifically uh, were few and far between. There weren't any. Stonewall Bar was a place that was routinely raided by police. In those days, police would go down into the gay bars and harass people, humiliate people, arrest people, and put their names in public places. Uh, the hammer of oppression is what drove it. It wasn't about the law necessarily, even though any kind of, uh, of homosexual activity was prohibited, could be jailed. These are a couple guys. It's called the Stonewall Riots Explained. Let's listen up. Jerry, where I'm going to get all gay on you. Not in a creepy way. We're going to take a look in this episode at the 1969 Stonewall Riots. But first, we're going to hopscotch a little bit through the beginning of the 20th century so we can find out what's going on. There's not too much gay history in American history prior to World War I, mainly because everything is so closeted and secretive. But we do, in 1912, have an incident called the Portland Vice Scandal, which occurred in Portland, Oregon, when a young man who was arrested for shoplifting seemed to blame a couple gold gay men on what he had done. And bada boom, bada bing, the next thing you know, we have a forced sexual sterilization bill in Portland. So if you were caught being gay, they would sexually sterilize you. In the 1920s, we have Harvard University creating secret court to out gay professors and gay students and expel them and fire them from their jobs. And in World War I, the U.S. Army created what was called the Blue Discharge, which, because there was no rule that you couldn't be gay, this was a way of getting rid of gay soldiers. And the Blue Discharge were used in both World War I and World War II. And actually, the GI Bill specifically eliminated people that had blue discharges from receiving any kind of benefits from the GI Bill. In the Roaring Twenties, we actually have kind of a flourishing of gay culture because everything was kind of pushed under the ground because of prohibition. So you have speakeasies in major cities that are making it easier for gays to get together, to drink, to dance, to do those types of things because the police don't know what's going on. And then in 1924, we have the first gay society, it's a temporary gay society, called the Society for Human Rights that was founded by Henry Gerber in Illinois. They actually um, produced a couple pamphlets called French and freedom, and that lasted for about a month before somebody turned to Ben for being gay, and they all got arrested. 
Um, and then really after World War II, uh, we have the explosion of the Red Scare. And uh, homosexuals are being included on these lists with communists because they are thought to be more susceptible to blackmail. Um, but there certainly is also an anti-gay discriminatory thing going on there. The FBI, police, the State Department, even the post office is tracking anybody thought to be a suspected homosexual and keeping their names. Um, and between 1947 and 1950, there were over 4,000 discharges from the U.S. Army for people being gay and over 400 state employees, government employees, that were fired from their jobs for being gay. So this brings us to right around 1950, and I think it's time that we got a real organization. So one of the pioneers of the gay rights movement is Harry Hay. Harry Hay in 1950 created the Matachine Society. And you'll notice a lot of these groups, including the lesbian group that was founded around the same time, the Daughters of Belitis, the D.O.B., they're not including gay and lesbian in their names because they're trying to kind of keep it subversive. There was actually, it was almost like a Mason society where you would have levels of secrecy and the higher you got up in leadership, the more that you would be informed. But everything is on the up and up. They're actually battling stereotypes. They don't like the idea of queens and cross-dressers and transgender peoples because it's kind of filling in that stereotype where they want to portray themselves as dresses and suits and ties and kind of all this stuff. And in 1965, the Matachine Society in D.C. under Frank Carney staged the first gay protest in the United States. There's a picture of it right there. And you can see that they're in dresses and they're in suits and they're acting very normal. But even people in the Matachine Society were outraged when they saw these people protesting because they didn't think that putting it in people's faces was the best way to get any movement on that. We also have the American Psychiatric Association um, in 1952 putting homosexuality on a list of mental diseases. And the study that they used to make that declaration was on a study of mental patients who were gay. So yeah, if you take a lot of mental patients that are gay, you'll probably find out that they're mental patients. Actually, Evelyn Hooker, a psychiatrist, did her own study in 1956, released it to the American Psychiatric Association, that showed that there was no difference in mental deficiencies between heterosexuals and homosexuals. But the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, is going to keep homosexuality on a list of diseases from 1952 to 1973. We have a little bit of movement in the Supreme Court. The first court gay case is uh, One Inc. versus Olson in 1958 that involved a magazine called One kind of gay publication that was being sent through the mail that the United States Postal Service was uh, refusing to deliver. And they won that case. And it's kind of a landmark victory because now they can communicate through mail. That's a big deal because they can start to network and create larger organizations. In 1966, we have our first um, real act of civil disobedience that doesn't get a lot of press. It's called the Compton uh, Cafeteria Riots. And this is mainly the transgender community, but the, the police in Compton um, went into this um, you know, restaurant where um, the workers had called them because these people were being gay and they wanted to be served. And one of the transgender women threw a cup of coffee in one of the cop's face. And the next thing you know, first um, real act of civil disobedience that doesn't get a lot of press. It's called the Compton uh, Cafeteria Riots. 
And this is mainly the transgender community, but the, the police in Compton um, went into this um, you know, restaurant where um, the workers had called them because these people were being gay and they wanted to be served. And one of the transgender women threw a cup of coffee in one of the cops' face. And the next thing you know, there was a melee and chaos and they were ripping things up and burning things up. But Compton's cafeteria didn't spread. It didn't get enough publicity. And this is gonna prime us for Greenwich Village, 1969. So Greenwich Village is kind of in the heart of rebel territory, right? This is where the beatniks made their path. And you have gay beatniks like uh, William Burrow and Allen Ginsberg, who are openly writing about homosexuality in the 1950s. But in the early 1960s, the mayor of New York City, Robert Wagner, actually began cracking down pretty hardcore on a lot of these bars that were serving gays. And it's important to understand that these aren't gay-owned bars. The mob owns these bars. But because it's the 1964 World Fair coming up and Wagner wants to clean up the city, um, they are basically entrapping people, they are throwing people in jail um, left and right in order to clean up the city. And even when Mayor John Lindsay was elected and he promised to stop all of that harassment, the New York State Liquor Authority still was going after bars serving gays because they claimed that they couldn't give a license to any bar that um, was disorderly. And because homosexuals considered to be disorderly, they weren't going to serve them. This led to the 1966 Julius Sip-In. Um, the Mattachine Society in 1966 sent three guys into the Julius. They announced we are homosexuals and we would like to be served. And you can see the bartender right there covering up their drinks. So there are people trying to get attention. Um, it's not radical. It's almost in the spirit of the civil rights nonviolence kind of methodology, but it's not gaining traction. So this brings us to the late 1960s and the Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street, which is a mob bar. It was owned by the Genovese family, and everybody knew it as the gay bar in the city. But um, it didn't have a liquor license. They washed their glasses in a tub in the back. Uh, the toilets were overflowing. There were no fire exits. And they were paying off police every week to keep themselves open. And even by paying the police off, they were still getting raided once a month. But they were being tipped off by the police. So the raids were almost like a you know kind of formal event that everybody knew about. But there's a lot of reasons why people think that the police went to close down the Stonewall on June 28, 1969. But the theory that I keep hearing over and over is that the mob was making more money on blackmailing the patrons of the Stonewall Inn, like stockbrokers and stuff, and they weren't ready to give kickbacks to the police. So the police kind of had had enough with the Genovese family. So they made an unannounced raid on June 28, 1969 at about 1.20 in the morning. There were about 205 people at the Stonewall, and the way that the raids would normally work is there was a, first there was a peephole. You couldn't get into the bar unless the bouncer saw you, recognized you, some kind of idea that you were, you were gay. But the police just announced they were police, and they rammed that door down. And the way they usually did it was they would line everybody up, and if you had ID, they would let you go. And if you didn't have ID, or if you were a woman wearing man's clothes or a man wearing women's clothes, you were going to get arrested. But for some reason, 
reason things didn't go smoothly that night. There's claims that the cops were sexually harassing some of the lesbians, touching them inappropriately. Um, some of the transgender um, uh, women in the bar started to kind of talk back. Men were refusing to show their ID. And because some of the patrol wagons hadn't arrived yet, they were lining people up and there were like 100, 150 people lined up, and there were about two or 300 people in the crowd outside that was growing. And this is a spontaneous event. This was not planned. So there's a lot of reasons why it probably happened. People were probably just bottled up with anger and frustration, and this was the opportunity. Um, but there was a there was a lesbian named Storme uh, Delavari who, when she was arrested and she was going back out to the car, she shouted to the crowd, why don't you guys do something? And that was the trigger. And suddenly the place erupted. Coins and stones started getting thrown at the cops. Um, the cops started backing up from these, you know, mob of 200 and 300 gay people. They pushed them back into the bar. The police had to retreat and they grabbed a couple people they had arrested, including uh, David Van Ronk, the famous folk singer, who's not gay, but because he's a member of kind of the beat community and the anti-police protest community, he's there. And suddenly he's in the bar with about 10 cops um, trapped as this mob outside tries to get in. They're breaking windows, they're burning garbage and sticking it into the windows and they eventually pulled a meter off the ground and they use it as a battering ram to break the door down. So now that they're backed up in the bar, uh, the TPF arrives, the tactical police force, because it's now like a full-blown riot. And the story is, is that the transgender women lined the streets as the TPF came and they started doing the Rockefeller kick line, yelling, we are the Stonewall girls, we wear our hair in curls, we don't wear underwear, we show our pubic hair. The cops probably didn't like that, and that's when they took out the batons and they started beating heads. Um, and it's kind of the geography that allowed this riot to happen, or you know, the building patterns. There's tons of like crooked alleyways and places to hide. But from one o'clock to four o'clock that morning, it was like Keystone Cops. They're running around trying to arrest people. There's hundreds, maybe a thousand people now that are rioting and burning and turning police cars over. Um, and at about four in the morning, it quieted it down. But the next night. People started arriving early, they were graffitiing um, the walls next to the stone wall with terms of gay pride, and uh, that night the cops came out in force again and they had another riot for about four hours chasing people around and confrontations and people getting beat up. Um, it rained the next couple days, that was a Monday and Tuesday. There was a small event where the Village Voice had printed an anti-gay kind of you know, slant on that story and about a thousand people showed up at the Village Voice offices um, threatening to burn them down. And then that Wednesday night there was one more night of riots and really that's it. Um, uh, gay people after that, at least in that area, are not going to go back into the closet. And after Stonewall, we start getting the first organizations with gay in their titles, like the Gay uh, Liberation Front and the Gay Activist Association, that are going to now take a very more aggressive role in trying to change the tide of anti-gay discrimination in the United States. They would zap people. They would show up in reporters' faces and ask them questions about, you know, gay rights and such like that. Um, but really what's going to make this memorable is a year later. And that's June 28th, 1970, where we have the first gay pride parade in New York City. And then by the next year, it's spreading across the country. And really, now we have a gay rights movement. Like it or not. So, we hope that you learned something about Stonewall. And we certainly thank you for watching a Hip Hughes History video. If you haven't subscribed, you can do that right there with that big red button. It's crazy. There's like 400 videos. You could watch it forever. 
But either way, thanks a lot, guys. Remember where attention goes, energy flows, and we'll see you next time. Now you press. There's a guy named Keith Hughes uh, giving a uh, an oral rendition of what happened at Stonewall and why it's so important for the gay rights movement. Actually, it was the birth of the gay rights movement. Okay, we got Rosetta Tharp lined up here for you. Didn't it rain? The wonderful time of my life. Rain too long, I'm not dumb, rain all day, rain 
Sister Rosetta Tharp, Didn't It Rain? And before that, we had Ken Hughes telling the history of Stonewall and why it's so important. Actually, we have to understand that it's important for all of us whenever any group, any community gains its freedom, gains its rights. Everyone is enhanced. Dolores Huerta pointed out how important it is for all of us to be united because when we're together, we can't be beaten. The fight for gay marriage is so important and for gay rights is so important. LGBT people, that's us. That's us, that's our community. That's working people. So reach out to your LGBT brothers and sisters. Sister Rosetta Tharp, Didn't It Rain? And here is a legendary poet reading a legendary poem. A gay poet and a howl. A howl against oppression and conformity and that silent tyranny that goes on behind the face of capitalism. Howl. For Carl Solomon. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of night who, poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high, sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats, floating across the tops of cities, contemplating jazz, who bared their brains to heaven under the L and saw Mohammedan angels staggering on tenement roofs, illuminated who passed through universities with radiant, cool eyes, hallucinating Arkansas and Blake-like tragedy among the scholars of war, who were expelled from the academies for crazy and publishing obscene odes on the windows of the skull, who cowered in unshaven rooms in underwear, burning their money in waste baskets and listening to the terror through the wall, who got busted in their pubic beards returning through Laredo with a belt of marijuana for New York, who ate fire in paint hotels or drank turpentine in Paradise Alley death, or purgatoried their torsos night after night with dreams, with drugs, with waking nightmares, alcohol and cock and endless balls, incomparable blind streets of shuddering cloud and lightning in the mind, leaping toward poles of Canada and Patterson, illuminating all the motionless world of time between... <clears throat> Peyote solidities of halls, backyard green tree cemetery dawns, wine drunkenness over the rooftops, storefront burrows of tea head joyride, neon blinking traffic light, sun and moon and tree vibrations in the roaring winter dusks of Brooklyn, ash can rantings and kind king light of mind. 
who chained themselves to subways for the endless ride from Battery to Holy Bronx on Benzedrine until the noise of wheels and children brought them down shuddering, mouth-racked and battered, bleak of brain, all drained of brilliance in the drear light of zoo who sank all night in submarine light of Bickford's, floated out and sat through the stale beer afternoon in desolate fugazis, listening to the crack of doom on the hydrogen jukebox, who talked continuously 70 hours from park to pad to bar to Bellevue to museum to the Brooklyn Bridge, a lost battalion of platonic conversationalists jumping down the stoops, off fire escapes, off window sills, off Empire State, out of the moon. Yakety yakking, screaming, vomiting, whispering facts and memories and anecdotes and eyeball kicks and shocks of hospitals and jails and wars. Whole intellects disgorged in total recall for seven days and nights with brilliant eyes. Meat for the synagogue cast on the pavement who vanished into nowhere, Zen, New Jersey, leaving a trail of ambiguous picture postcards of Atlantic City Hall. <clears throat> Suffering eastern sweats and Tangerian bone grindings and migraines of China under junk withdrawal in Newark's bleak furnished room, who wandered around and around at midnight in the railroad yard, wondering where to go and went, leaving no broken hearts who lit cigarettes in boxcars, boxcars, boxcars racketing through snow toward lonesome farms and grandfather night, who studied Plotinus, Poe, St. John of the Cross, the Book of the Dead, telepathy and Bob Kabbalah, because the cosmos instinctively vibrated at their feet in Kansas who loaned it through the streets of Idaho, seeking visionary Indian angels who were visionary Indian angels, who thought they were only mad when Baltimore gleamed in supernatural ecstasy, who jumped in limousines with the Chinamen of Oklahoma on the impulse of winter, midnight, streetlights, small town, rain who lounged hungry and lonesome through Houston seeking jazz or sex or soup and followed the brilliant Spaniard to converse about America and eternity, a hopeless task, and so took ship to Africa, who disappeared into the volcanoes of Mexico, leaving behind nothing but the shadow of dungarees and the lava and ash of poetry scattered in fireplace Chicago who reappeared on the West Coast investigating the FBI in beards and shorts with big pacifist eyes, sexy in their dark skin, passing out incomprehensible leaflets, who burned cigarette holes in their arms protesting the narcotic tobacco haze of capitalism who distributed super-communist pamphlets in Union Square, weeping and undressing while the sirens of Los Alamos wailed them down and wailed down wall, and the Staten Island Ferry also wailed, who broke down crying in white gymnasiums naked and trembling before the machinery of other skeletons, who bit detectives in the neck and shrieked with delight in police cars for committing no crime but their own wild cooking pederast and intoxication, who howled on their knees in the subway and were dragged off the roof, waving genitals and manuscripts, 
who let themselves be fucked in the ass by saintly motorcyclists and screamed with joy, who blew and were blown by those human seraphim, the sailors, caresses of Atlantic and Caribbean love, who bawled in the morning and the evenings in rose gardens and the grass of public parks and cemeteries scattering their semen freely to whomever come who may, who hiccuped endlessly trying to giggle but wound up with a sob behind a partition in a Turkish bath when the blonde and naked angel came to pierce them with a sword, who lost their love boys to the three old shrews of fate, the one-eyed shrew of the heterosexual dollar, the one-eyed shrew that winks out of the womb, and the one-eyed shrew that does nothing but sit on her ass and snip the intellectual golden threads of the craftsman's loom who copulated ecstatic and insatiate with a bottle of beer, a sweetheart, a package of cigarettes, a candle, and fell off the bed, and continued along the floor and down the hall, and ended fainting on the wall with a vision of ultimate cunt and come eluding the last jism of consciousness who sweetened the snatches of a million girls trembling in the sunset and were red-eyed in the morning but prepared to sweeten the snatch of the sunrise, flashing buttocks under barns and naked in the lake, who went out whoring through Colorado in myriad stolen night cars, Neil Cassidy, secret hero of these poems, joy to the memory of his innumerable lays of girls in empty lots and diner backyards, Coxman and Adonis of Denver, movie houses, rickety rows, on mountaintops, in caves, or with gaunt waitresses in familiar roadside, lonely petticoat upliftings, and especially secret gas station solipsisms of John's and hometown alleyways, too who faded out in vast sordid movies, were shifted in dreams, woke on a sudden Manhattan, and picked themselves up out of basements hung over with heartless tokay and horrors of Third Avenue iron dreams and stumbled to unemployment offices, who walked all night with their shoes full of blood on the snow bank docks waiting for a door in the East River to open to a room full of steam, heat, and opium, <clears throat> who created great suicidal dramas on the apartment cliff banks of the Hudson under the wartime blue floodlight of the moon, and their head shall be crowned with laurel in oblivion, who ate the lamb stew of the imagination or digested the crab at the muddy bottom of the rivers of Bowery, who wept at the romance of the streets with their push carts full of onions and bad music, who sat in boxes, breathing in darkness under the bridge, and rose up to build harpsichords in their lofts, who coughed on the sixth floor of Harlem, crowned with flame under the tubercular sky, surrounded by orange crates of theology, who scribbled all night, rocking and rolling over lofty incantations, which in the yellow morning were stanzas of gibberish, who cooked rotten animals, lung, heart, feet, tail, borscht and tortillas, dream.
Okay, Allen Ginsberg reading uh, the first part of his famous poem, Howl. Um, a classic of its time and of um, modern, modern American poetry. One of those moments in poetry where everything sort of breaks loose periodically in poetry and in hip-hop now. Uh, the spoken word breaks loose and finds a new form. Uh, in this case, uh, Ginsburg is talking about something developed by William Carlos Williams, the American variable foot, where the emphasis of in the poem falls on certain parts of of the sentence that follow the rhythms of uh, what we might call um, normal speech. This is the B, and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio. And today we're talking about Stonewall, and we're talking about some news stories get to those later on. Mr. Trump promised to save some jobs that are somehow not being saved. And a big wage theft case, something that's really prevalent down there in a hidden city where things are uh, invisible to middle-class people. While they were offering the public all-you-can-eat deals on pot stickers, sesame balls, and egg rolls, the owners of a Bay Area Chinese restaurant chain were allegedly hiding a sinister secret. Behind closed doors, according to authorities, the former owners and managers of Golden Dragon Buffet in Brentwood New Dragon Buffet in San Leandro, Golden Rock Buffet in Roseville, and Kyoko Sushi Buffet in Harvard, Hayward, (laughs) were saving money by failing to pay their workers minimum wage. State investigators estimate they committed 4.5 million in wage theft from 2009 to 2013 and cheated California out of another $2 million in taxes. In December, they were indicted. 28 charges, including conspiracy, wage theft, and workers' compensation fraud. They've agreed to plead guilty. Some of the charges and prosecutors have asked for sentences from three to six years in state prison. Judge Ben Berg... Birch is expected to decide on a sentence Friday afternoon. When the workers got to the Bay Area, some were paid less than $6 an hour, according to prosecutors. When it became known that some of the workers were cooperating with police, one of the owners allegedly kicked them out and threatened to call immigration and customs enforcement. State labor officials say that in the bigger picture, it's just a drop in the bucket. One worker described living in a garage with 14 others and working $12 a day 
at the Kyoko Sushi Buffet Restaurant in Haywood. The area we were living in was exclusively for Latinos, the worker said in a grand jury testimony, and then in the other houses were all the Chinese servers and everybody else was. Defendants are scheduled to be sentenced this Friday at 1.30 p.m. Let's see what happens with that. Um, it's significant that the workers were kept segregated. Okay, this is a you look into labor history in California, especially agricultural history of agricultural labor. This was a, a tactic that employers uh, always used keep the people separate. Once they start sitting together and comparing notes, we can't use that mutual unknowledge, un lack of knowledge about one another, on them. And by then, they're free. Amazing. That's, that's how it works. And... Carrier Plant Move, this is the Daily News, New York Daily News. Carrier Plant Moving Hundreds of Jobs to Mexico After Trump, quote-unquote, Deal. Mr. Trump made a big deal about getting American jobs to stay in the United States. A deal then-President-elect Trump claimed would save more than a thousand jobs at an Indiana carrier plant will actually send more than 600 jobs to Mexico, the company announced Monday. So Trump made a big deal about his negotiating skills and he was going to be able to keep jobs. But what he originally did was just promise more tax breaks. In the weeks following last December's election, Trump and then Vice President Mike Pence highly publicized their efforts to push pressure, put pressure on the air conditioner manufacturer to keep it from outsourcing jobs to Mexico, a key campaign promise. The pressure resulted in an incentive-laden deal that saved about 800 jobs. The deal still called for at least 500 jobs to be moved to Mexico. And on Monday, Carrier said it would be outsourcing even more than that. The company will eliminate a total of 632 jobs at the company's Indianapolis factory, work that will be outsourced to Mexico, with 338 jobs being cut by July 20th and 290 being cut by December 22nd. Trump had claimed for weeks that the deal, following the deal that they'd saved 1,100 jobs, hundreds of jobs would be lost. Days later, the United Steelworkers Union confirmed that the deal would save roughly 800 jobs while at least 100, 550 would still be lost through profits and attrition. The deal Trump and Pence reached with Carrier netted the company $7 million in tax breaks, an arrangement critics dubbed just another example of corporate welfare. 
remarked at that time that companies are not going to leave the United States anymore without consequences. It's not going to happen. Well, Mr. Trump, what are you going to do now? I mean, I want to know, what are you going to do now? Okay, this is the B, and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission, a real neighborhood art center. Come on down and put on your play, play your music, tell your story, make your comedy. Okay, this is your chance. Mutiny Radio is here, and Mutiny Radio needs you just as much as you need Mutiny Radio. Okay, let's play one more now from our list before the computer goes out. <laughs> um, before Stonewall. Witches were mad and moonstruck When the shrinking and the shocking And the mocking were rife We still found each other The ones in the life There was a time before demonstrations when the queens and fairies were shy and fearful we ran and we hid from the fist and the knife and we still found each other the ones in the life Do you know Dorothy? Do you have the time? Have you got a light, dear? Change for a dime? Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern Where we won't be seen There was a time before celebration When all my sisters were ghosts and shadows Every femme had a butch Every husband a wife And we still found each other The ones in the life Do you know Dorothy? time have you got a light dear change for a dime do you come here often I see what you mean I know a tavern where we won't be seen there was a time Back before Stonewall 
the jokes and we joined the laughter. We lied and we passed and avoided the strife. But we still found each other, the ones in the life. We still found each other. Across USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey Take a walk on the wild side Candy came from out on the island In the back room she was everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go do 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 Little Joe never once gave it away Everybody had to pay and pay A hustle here and a hustle there New York City is the place where they said Hey babe, take a walk on the wild side I said, hey Joe, take a walk on the wild side Sugar Pump Fairy came and hit the streets Looking for soul food and a place to eat Went to the Apollo, you should have seen him go, go, go They said, hey sugar, take a walk on the wild side I said, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side All right Just speeding away Thought she was James Dean for a day Then I guess she had to crash Valium would have helped that passion Said, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side I said, hey honey, take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls say Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
understand why you sang in such beautiful songs to such beautiful girl parked way out here in a surrey and you don't even have a horse to pull it well i'll tell you how it is you know nowadays a boy gets a girl and he goes out here's patsy klein yeah. We've got this sort of meaningless lead up to the Back song come on day, in is what our <laughs> attitude toward our immigrants uh, should be you should. you'll approach hey. it sometime it's good to introduce me well, I guess, yeah. Patsy Klein, do you know Furlan Husky? Hi, Furlan. Hoss, you just been replaced. Oh, really? Hi, Furlan. Come on in. <laughs> was Patsy Klein with her song uh, Come On In and Make Yourself at Home and I played that as kind of a uh, change of change of um, tempo change of subject okay we've been talking a lot about the movement for LGBT rights and its history um, 
And I want to talk, this is Immigrant Heritage Month. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, uh, kind of a, a technique for companies to talk about welcoming immigrants. And what they're actually saying is they're welcoming cheap labor. Okay, and this was pointed out in the National Review. Mark Zuckerberg is one of the big movers in this. Uh, all the, so, I mean, that, that's good. It's, they're still welcoming immigrants, and they're still talking about the way immigrants should be treated uh, when they come here. Now, would they make a stand for what are called, quote-unquote, undocumented immigrants? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it's about. But it is nevertheless a, uh, a nice idea, let's say. Um, we have a lot of people who are suspicious of immigrants. And it has been American history. Again, <laughs> people, read your history. The history of... of American capitalism is that it always needs cheap labor. It always needs people that it can rip off. Both every day with a theory of uh, surplus value, that your work is worth more than you're getting paid for it. But also with instance, instances like what we just read about in Contra Costa County of workers getting being exploited, being separated, being denied their pay. So capitalism needs to feed on something. It has to kill in order to grow. It has to eat people's spirits every day, eat their souls, keep them in poverty so that those that money that they're being that's being stolen is passed up passed up to the rich okay this is the B um, historically here we play Lalo Guerrero so let's do that the night one boogie <laughs> Se alerta ese vato, no se vaya al rol Porque va a empezar al rato el piano del cantón Porque va a empezar al rato el marihuana boogie boy Juana se llama Juana, 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 Juana Pero ya todos los vatos le dicen marihuana 
quiero yo Ese buggy me siento volador. Pégale bute esas teclas, ya estoy aviado. Pégale bute esas teclas, que ya estoy volado. None of the uh, Bush administration is no, not sexy people. None of them. Not even Laura Bush, who I think, I think Laura Bush is pretty, but you know her pussy tastes like Lysol. Okay, uh, that was uh, Lalo Guerrero and his marijuana boogie and a comment <laughs> from uh, Margaret Cho rather personal comment about our former first lady. Uh, this is the B, this is the Labor and Love Show. And we remind you on the Labor and Love Show that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. And that's how that per first person gets rich. Okay, here's the World Labor Report, labor actions all over the globe from Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 23rd, 2017. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, thousands of public employees march for decent wages. The world economy is losing trillions because many women cannot find paid employment. More workers are likely to die as they build stadiums for global games. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. June 23rd is Public Services Day, and hundreds of thousands of public employees are using the day to fight for pay increases and quality public services. I talked to Rosa Pavanelli, the General Secretary of Public Services International. The PSI represents some 20 million workers who are members of more than 600 unions in 154 countries. I asked Ms. Pavanelli if conditions for public service workers had changed for the better over the past year. I would be happy to 
say that of the situation that changed, but unfortunately, this is not the case. Around the world, in many, many countries, people are suffering because they have no access to education. And workers in, that, in those sectors are suffering of very bad working conditions and a drop in their wages and in their rights in general, including the right to strike. And this is because governments pretend not to have money to, to afford the cost of public services, while there's a lot of money hidden in tax havens. One of the regions with extensive union activity in support of public service workers today is Europe. Thousands of union members are marching through all of the major cities in Europe calling for a pay increase. Jan William Hudrian is the General Secretary of the European Public Service Union. EPSU represents 8 million workers who are members of unions throughout Europe. There is a recognition that public service workers in Europe deserve an increase in their pay. Just as a little background to remind ourselves that since the financial crisis in 2008, public service workers in Europe suffered pay cuts, pay freezes, and for some workers that were pay freezes for as much as six, seven, or even eight years, like childcare workers in Hungary. And slowly we see a return to bargaining, uh, but to remind us that in 19 countries, uh, these pay freezes uh, have taken place, affecting over 20 million public service workers. So that's why this year on Public Service Day, we want to highlight that it's crucial that Europe's public service workers get a pay increase and deserve better pay. The world is losing trillions of dollars by not allowing women the opportunity to gain paid employment. Seamarie Ainsborough reports. The fact that fewer women than men are participating in the global workforce is costing the world trillions of dollars. Currently, about 49% of women are in the workforce, compared to 71% of men. A new study by the International Labour Organization shows that increasing employment opportunities and supports for women would boost global employment by 189 million. It estimates that $5.8 trillion would be added to the global economy if the participation gap between women and men was decreased by 25%. The ILO is the United Nations agency which focuses on matters of work in the world. The ILO study shows that fewer than 50% of women are participating in the workforce, but 70% of them want paid jobs. This gap shows that women experience significant barriers in becoming employed. These barriers include discrimination against women, lack of educational opportunities, unpaid care responsibilities in the home, and marital status. Cultural norms concerning gender roles are also a major factor. The report calls for measures to improve equality in labor conditions and reshape gender roles. These include promoting equal pay for work of equal value and erasing violence and harassment against women and men in the world of work. This is Seamary Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. There are growing concerns that more workers will be injured or even killed as stadiums for global games such as the FIFA World Cup of Football are being built. The World Cup will be hosted by Russia in 2018. FIFA is the world body which regulates the sport. Meanwhile, stadiums are being built for the 2020 Olympics in Japan and the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. The global labor body, which is working to help the thousands working on the stadiums and other 
art facilities is the Building of Woodworkers International. BWI represents some 12 million workers who are members of more than 300 unions in 130 countries. I talked to Ambit Yusin, the General Secretary of BWI. You know, Mark, we have a memorandum of understanding with FIFA uh, and FIFA Russia to conduct joint inspection. Indeed, we were given access to the site. We have found problems in terms of health and safety. You know, if you look at uh, having personal protective equipment, looking at the scaffolding, you know, looking at the health records and, and other issues. And we find some problems there, no? Also found that many of the migrants are not receiving their wages on time. They are delayed by one or two months. And of course, for them, they are migrants. That's a big impact on that. You know, in fact, there were five strikes there. Workers just went out because their wages are, are not paid. And lastly, the most important problem as of now, the record is 17 workers died in, in the construction of the stadiums in Russia. And then for us, this is alarming. Uh, you know, in Sochi, Winter Olympics, there are 70, 70 workers died in the construction of the facilities. And most of the accidents happened actually when you rush the work to beat the deadline. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Star correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of over 300 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to news about the $100 million payment made to Canadian education workers after their constitutional right to collective bargaining was violated by legislation imposing a contract on their unions, and the reaction of transport workers around the world to the resignation of Uber's founder. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Italian public transport workers caused national chaos when they held a 24-hour walkout to protest the planned privatization of large parts of the country's rail and bus systems. A walkout by Indian tea plantation workers expanded to include more employers last week. Waste management workers stopped work to demand a living wage in South Africa. Colombian teachers ended their 37-day-long strike with a victory. The month-long waste collection workers' strike in South Africa ended when the labor court forced the strikers back to work, while waste workers in India started an indefinite strike over the restructuring of the services that they provide. A five-month-long walkout by Nigerian university workers ended when the workers were promised the back pay owed to them, and also striking over wage theft were public sector workers in Pakistan. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the ban on brassieres at the Australian Mint, the women who work in horrendous conditions to make clothing for Ivanka Trump's brand, and the macroeconomic effects of underpaying women in Japan. 
The Health and Safety Newswire rerun in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the safety concerns of Canadian prison guards, the deaths of two Australian farm workers in just a few days, and the French public transport drivers who were wearing skirts in the summer heat after being denied the right to wear short pants. Currently, Labor Start is running seven online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Radio Labor's newscasts are available on its website, iTunes, mobile phones, union websites, and community radio stations. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. That was uh, Radio Labor. Let's see if we can find. Um... <clears throat> Workers Independent News. Labor Radio. For. Uh, local. U.S. News. The uh, radio labor report. And they have a new website. Uh, they're at workersindependentnews.com. So again, you know, we, we hear uh, about... Uh, wage theft. First of all, of course, wage theft is built in to the employer-employee system, the capital ownership system. Um, every hour you work, let's say you work and you earn $20 for your boss in future sales and the product of your work uh he's not going to pay you that $20 he can't afford to he's the boss he's trying to get a profit off of everything he does so what he does is he pays you less than you earn for him say you earn $20 for him he's only going to pay you 15 and he's going to keep that $5 value for himself he'll receive that at some point perhaps when the thing you made is sold. Okay. Labor, labor isn't just a cost that capitalists have to bear. Labor is the creative force that makes the thing. So if you look at it as just another cost, that minimizes it. Makes you, the labor makes the worker one of your machines. So that worker's value, the value that he creates, is taken. Then, 
under wage theft schemes, it's taken again. There's more money removed from what the labor, the worker has produced. Okay, this is the B and this is the radio labor. It's getting time for us to sign off. We're happy to work the morning shift with you. Hope you have a good week and you have good labor. Please remember, please, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. And if you don't have a seat at the table where you work, you don't have some voice in in the negotiations at that table, you're probably on the menu. Finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And here's the worker's dreamland. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fires were burning Down the track came a hobo hiking He said, boys, I'm not turning I'm heading for a land that's far away Beside that crystal fountain I'll see you all this coming fall In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains It's a land that's fair and bright My handouts grow on bushes and you sleep out every night The boxcars all are empty, the sun shines every day I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow In the big rock candy mountains, oh the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountain In the big rock candy mountains You never change your socks Little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks Oh, the shacks all have to tip their hats The railroad bulls are blind There's a lake of stew and ginger ale too You can paddle all around it in a big canoe In the big rock candy mountains Oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountains In the big rock candy mountains The cops have wooden legs The bulldogs all have rubber teeth and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs. The boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day. I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the sleet don't fall and the wind don't blow. In the big rock candy mountains, oh, the buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees by the soda water fountain. By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountain. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. You can slip right out again as soon as they put you in. There ain't no short handle shovels, no axes, saws, nor picks. I'm bound to stay where you sleep all day Where they hung the jerk that invented work In the big rock candy mountain Oh, 
Buzzing of the bees in the cigarette trees By the soda water fountain By the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountain Pete Seeger with his song about the uh, worker's paradise, the Big Rock Candy Mountain, the bulldogs all have rubber teeth. About time to sign off. This is the B, the BB, a.k.a. Bill Morgan, your host on the Labor and Love Show every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. And if you can't hear us live, listen in on mutinyradio.fm slash podcast slash labor and love or we're also available on on iTunes labor and love radio so hope you have a good week hope you have good work remember the only time you're alone is when you don't stand up and if you stay seated they'll say you stood up for sitting down is Kaori Miraji with the Internacional.
for those who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and doll on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born, I say to you, I know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. The Night Space brings you High Time Storytime every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. Listen to San Francisco's finest underground comedians read crazy stories written by me, Arden, on The Night Space. The Night Space featuring High Time Storytime every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. High Time Storytime Volume 1 now available on Amazon.com for Kindle and electronic download. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) 
San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh, Kit Marie, Brandon Ray, and Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. People, this is the Flat Black Plastic Show on Mutiny Radio. You ever want to be fun? Dot FM. Well, my dog sink up. 